Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Location. This is the Bruce Exclusive, and here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back you know for a lot of teams they're starting their off-season talk they are starting their off-season schedule of what went right and what went wrong during the regular season of 2021 they're starting to get talk on free agency and the draft maybe they're talking about potential new head coach or gm hires but not the buffalo bills The season continues. The second season has begun. And that second season is the playoffs. But Black Monday came and went in the NFL. And I mentioned on the pod a while ago that the main thing holding NFL teams accountable to winning in an era where profit increases even when winning doesn't is owner embarrassment. Owner embarrassment is the big thing. But it doesn't work if the owner is more embarrassed of turnover than of losing. We thought we might see this with the New York Giants and John Mara not wanting to be the third time in a row where he fired a coach after two years. Just constant turnover every two years. But if you're more embarrassed of the turnover than you are of the losing, you're embarrassed of the wrong thing. Well, we need continuity. Yes, you do need continuity. If the thing you have in place is something worth having continuity for. Being loyal to stuff is great. Being loyal to coaches is great. Being loyal to players is great. If they are players or coaches worth being loyal to. So what we are seeing in the NFL right now is people getting fired for different reasons. Brian Flores got fired. And a lot of people thought he did the best he possibly could with that roster. But there was some discussion about him not being on the same page with ownership. Joe Judge got fired, even though the owner clearly really liked Joe Judge. But just over the last month was kind of embarrassed of the fact that he was going to have to do this process over again. Didn't want to have Judge there 
and also have to be looking for a GM who was going to have to be saddled with a coach he didn't choose. Speaking of coaches he didn't choose, that's what's happening in Denver right now. You have a GM in George Payton who got saddled with a coach he didn't choose in Vic Fangio, and now here he is picking his new coach. The idea that you can have a GM and a coach hired together as part of the same unit and being told, listen, there is no power struggle. If one of you goes, both of you go, is ideal. And the reason why I'm even bringing all this up is because maybe the Bills have a good thing going on with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. And guess what? If the Bills lose to the Patriots on Saturday and they get bounced from the playoffs in the first round, that won't stop being true. It will still be true that the continuity is worth being loyal to at one Bills drive. That Sean McDermott is a good coach. That Brandon Bean is a good GM. They will have flaws. They will make mistakes. We will criticize them for those things when they come. But look at Black Monday. Look at all the reasons why things can go wrong in the NFL. So many different reasons. Every single one of the coaches who got fired got fired for more than just not winning enough games. They got fired because they were not on the same page as their general manager. They clashed with ownership. They clashed with the players. All these things are possible reasons why you get canned in the NFL, more than just wins and losses. So as we look around the NFL, it should give us a little bit of perspective at our own team. And the Buffalo Bills have a game to play this weekend. One of the things I think is interesting about the game that the Bills just played, however, against the New York Jets, is that if you look at the final score of that game and you see it's 27 to 10, you think, okay, that was a, that was a pretty good, pretty solid, strong victory. But it didn't really feel like that sometimes against the New York Jets. But I want to address that. I want to address the feeling of that. Because you can score the exact same amount of points in multiple different games, but the timing of the scoring you do and the scoring you allow controls the narrative more so than the final score. When the points occur, control the narrative. So in this case, the Buffalo Bills were up 13 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. They scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. They allowed zero points in the fourth quarter. And so the final score ends up being 27 to 10. So the narrative is they pulled away late. Now let's divvy up the math a little differently. They scored 27 points in the first quarter and then zero for the rest of the way. Oh, they took their foot off the gas. That becomes the narrative. What if they score zero points They're down 10 to nothing. And then they score all 27 points in the fourth quarter. They mounted a furious comeback and pulled away. In all three cases, the Bills won the game 27 to 10. In all three cases, the narrative is different. What I'm here to say is that it doesn't really matter that much. We've talked about before that the clutch gene, I believe, is a real thing in the NFL, and in sports in general. There are some particular human beings who perform better under pressure than others. We all know people like that 
in our everyday lives. Their awareness is heightened. They're hyper-focused. They do better under pressure than other people who just collapse under the pressure. I do believe the clutch gene is a thing. I also think the clutch gene can be learned over time through repeated exposure to the same stimulus. But also, I don't think it really matters all that much. Fourth quarter comeback wins for a quarterback are a weird metric for me. Number one, because wins aren't a quarterback stat. But number two, if you score that same touchdown in the first quarter, there is no longer the need to score it in the fourth quarter. If the quarterback leads the offense in a come-from-behind win and they score 10 points in the fourth quarter to come back and win when they were down by seven, we talk about the clutch gene. But if that quarterback had led the offense and helped them score those same 10 points in the third quarter, it wouldn't have been necessary to have the comeback. I say all this to say that we sometimes get very, very, very distracted by the narrative that is primarily driven by the timing of scoring and the timing of scores allowed. We get very distracted by that. But I don't think it matters as much as we think it does. I think it makes us feel different. It makes us as consumers of the product feel different. Like I said, you score all 27 and they score 10, you go, okay, well, we took a foot off the gas. Remember the take their foot off the gas in the third quarter narrative from last year? Do you remember that one? It always comes down to timing of scoring that determines narratives like that. And one of the things I thought was interesting about the New York Jets game is that this was a good opportunity to explore that concept. And I think it's dangerous if we allow ourselves to be swung too far in one way or too far the other way by the timing that ultimately in the end matters not a lot. How many points do you have when the final whistle blows? And how many points do they have when the final whistle blows? If you have 35 and they have 33, you win. When you scored the 35 and when they scored the 33 doesn't really matter aside from the narrative. It changes the storyline of the game. But apart from affecting our emotional capacities, it doesn't have a lot of bearing. I just thought that was interesting. One of the things that was interesting to me about the Buffalo Bills-New York Jets game and just last game of the season kind of vibes in general is that you have players chasing bonuses. And I thought it was interesting that Josh Allen made the comment that he was going to try to get Stephon Diggs enough catches to be able to do that. And some people will respond negatively to this. They will say, this is about the team. It's not about your stats. And to that, I would respond with this statement. Being part of a team does not necessitate, warrant, or require the total sacrifice of self, only the somewhat suppression of self. I'll say that again. Being part of a team does not require the total sacrifice of self, only the somewhat suppression of self. You don't lose your identity completely. You don't lose your ambition completely when you become part of a team. You choose voluntarily to lessen that part of you so you can prioritize team goals. But good team leaders would never ask you to become a homogenous, monotonous blob 
who exists only in service to the collective. They would not ask you to do that. And I think this is valuable. I think it's important that you balance the concept of letting people be ambitious, letting them have their own particular goals, but recognizing that those things sometimes need to be set aside for the good of the group. And I think bonuses is something that we really don't talk about as it relates to teams. And if you have an offensive coordinator who goes to Stefan Diggs and goes, listen, I know you're four catches away. I don't know if we're going to get there, but I promise you I'll try. That awareness, that good faith effort matters to players. It matters. It's part of building a good culture. And we talk about culture all the time, but we have a tendency to only talk about it as it relates to the sacrifice of self. But sacrifice of self is not necessary. Somewhat suppression of self is necessary. You lessen that, but you don't lose it. You don't give it up. You don't lose the nameplate on the back of your jersey when you walk into a locker room. You choose to focus on the nameplate on the front. You choose to focus on the logo on the helmet. But you don't just forget about your own stuff. You don't just stop caring about being paid. There's gradients to this. It's not binary. It's not, well, you're for the team or you're for yourself. No, that's something people who are completely incapable of seeing ingredients will tell you. That's what bad leaders will tell you to try to get you to feel guilty that you care about things aside from the collective. That's something they'll tell you. Now, people have to set aside their own stuff sometimes for the collective good. But the group and the team recognizing that it's made up of individuals still matters. And that's part of having a good culture. You don't just lose who you are and your identity in this homogenous blob they call a team. You simply choose to place your own interest behind those of the team often. I don't have a good transition for this. Matt Hawk is not a good punter. We knew this. We knew this coming in. But Matt Hawk is a lesson in not every signing being a good one. I did not like the Matt Hawk signing when it happened. But some people's first inclination is to defend the signing with zeal when you barely know the player and attack the person who doesn't like it. Maybe you should check at that time to see if you're being intellectually honest or if you're hope casting. Matt Hawk has not been a good signing as a punter. He's been a good holder, but I can find a good holder who's a better punter. I don't have to pick a good holder or a good punter. There's plenty of people who can do both. In this case, Matt Hawk can only do one at a high level. Now, I am not advocating that the Bills make a move at punter right now. Please do not disrupt your kicking game right now in the middle of the playoffs. Don't do that. But Matt Hawk is a lesson. When they first signed him, I went on social media and said, I don't really like this. And people's immediate response was to defend the signing as if it was totally awesome. Speaking with authority and hoping are two different things. I hope he works out is totally different than, oh, he's clearly better and this is why. But punter and punt returner were two issues that were talked a lot about this offseason. And here we are in the playoffs with both of them still being issues. I don't feel comfortable with Isaiah McKenzie. And I felt comfortable for a minute with Stevenson, but I kind of lost it. 
So at this point, I'm completely fine with Micah Hyde fielding punts to minimize lost and bad field position in the playoffs. We talked about this a lot this offseason, and it wasn't solved. And those things matter. We should talk about that. But it's a lesson to be learned. I try really hard not to be hyperbolic on this podcast because hyperbole doesn't do any of us any good. However, Harrison Phillips is currently giving this team some of the best one technique play they've seen in years. I think right now Harrison Phillips is playing better than Starla Tulele has at any point in his Bills career. Peak Marcel Darius was the last time the Bills got this level of play from a one technique. So I think that Harrison Phillips has become a very important player to attempt to re-sign this offseason. Plurality pie for the New York Jets-Buffalo Bills game. Defensive line as a whole, 32%. That's darn right. All of them. Though we are going to have to have a chat about A.J. Epinesa at some point. It feels like we really haven't talked about him at all this year. And now here we are, two years in. He went through a massive body recomposition last season. We had high hopes this season. Had a really good game against Miami and has not had the breakout that we wanted him to have. So at some point, we are going to have a chat, a chat about A.J. Epinesa. Probably this offseason, it will probably be a deep dive at some point. But the defensive line as a whole, 32%. Jordan Poyer, 16%. Right. He and Micah Hyde aren't pro bowlers. Okay, whatever. Stephon Diggs, 13%. Josh Allen, 12%. Other, 27%. Ladies and gentlemen, plurality pie. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We have the final bowl of QB stew. Stick with me. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about some narratives that I wanted to talk about. We took a break, but before that, we did Plurality Pie, and now here it is, the final QB stew of the regular season. We're going to go ahead and start from the top and work our way down. The number one quarterback for the 2021 regular season in QB stew is, drumroll please, Aaron Rodgers again. Number two is Tom Brady, then Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Matthew Stafford, Justin Herbert, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, Teddy Bridgewater, Derek Carr, Mac Jones, Ryan Tannehill, Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tungavailoa, Matt Ryan, Lamar Jackson, Jared Goff, Daniel Jones, Taylor Heineke, Davis Mills, Baker Mayfield, Ben Roethlisberger, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Sam Darnold, and the Bills' last quarterback opponent, bringing up the rear, Zach Wilson. So, Josh Allen at number 11. 
Here is how his advanced metrics shook up for 2021. He was sixth in QBR, 16th in passer rating, 14th in average net yards per attempt, 8th in EPA per play, 15th in DVOA, 6th in PFF grade, and 12th in CPOE. So the outliers here are QBR, EPA per play, and PFF grade. Everything else is pretty close. Those are the outliers. What can we learn? If we know what these metrics say, what can we learn? Josh Allen had a really, really, really successful season rushing the ball. Now, if you look at his raw stats, yards per carry, things like that, you go, yeah, that's that's about right. But we know that QBR and EPA per play both love rushing. They very heavily weight that because they don't particularly care how you get the first down. All they care about is that the first down has been got. So if you run six yards on a third and five, that is a big boost to EPA per play and QBR. And PFF grade is not the passing grade, it is the total grade, which means it also weights rushing. So what you know is his passing numbers were fine. His rushing numbers were really good. And overall, that gave him the 11th best QB stew. If you look at Josh Allen's yards per attempt this year, it's about a yard less than it was last year. So I don't think he was explosive as a passer, but we knew that. He came in facing a lot of too high and didn't until recently have even a reasonable running game to be able to pull it off. In addition, we know that he's had some bad luck when it comes to playing in particularly poor home weather games this year, which this does not account for. So DVOA calculates outside versus inside game, but it doesn't really calculate weather. Here's another thing it doesn't calculate, injuries. Nothing does. Baker Mayfield is down at 26th on the board. Now, we all know that Baker Mayfield was off to a pretty decent start before he got hurt. Now, you can't blame all of it on his injury, but it's a contributing factor, just like the weather stuff is a contributing factor for Josh Allen. So I'm perfectly fine with this. Was it as good of a year as 2020? No, I don't think there is a rational argument to be made that Josh Allen was as productive in 2021 as he was in 2020. Now, you can have a completely separate argument as to whether or not he's a better quarterback. Those two things are very different because he was faced with different defenses this year. He was faced with different weather this year. So Josh Allen could be a better quarterback this year than he was last year and not be as productive this year as he was last year. I would like to bring up a discussion that we had before this year started. I did a podcast called Josh Allen and the Reasonable Regression. And I wrote an article for buffalorumblings.com that I published on July 8th that said not all potential regressions for Josh Allen in 2021 are unreasonable. And I said, Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen was spectacular in 2020. That is not a hyperbolic statement. He ranked second in CPOE, third in EPA per play, fifth in adjusted net yards per attempt, third in QBR, fourth in passer rating, third in DVOA, fifth in PFF grade. It was fantastic. And one of the things I said in this article is that the number one reason why Josh Allen could regress, you can't see me, I'm doing air quotes, regress, is 
minor efficiency regression from a superlative peak. Allen can regress this year, I said, simply because last year was so good. He could regress and still be a top quarterback. And I flat out said at that time, listen, I understand that somebody out there is going to say, well, he's gotten better every year. Why wouldn't he get better? Because it was unreasonable to expect us to be markedly better than the year he had last year where he was phenomenal. If he had improved from 2020 to 2021, equivalent to the jump he made from 19 to 2020, that means he would have thrown for 6,100 yards and 57 touchdowns. His passing yards per game would have been 50 yards higher than the career average of the number one quarterback in yards per game in NFL history. Everybody's got a ceiling. They don't just get better indefinitely. So, although we might look at this and say, oh my gosh, Josh Allen regressed. Number one, expecting 2020 levels of production every year is insane. Although Aaron Rodgers was fantastic last year and fantastic the year before. He wasn't always like this. Also, you have the new defenses he's facing now. And you have the weather things. These are not excuses. These are contributing factors. There's a difference. Excuses mean nothing matters because of this other thing you just said. We didn't excuse it away. They are contributing factors. I am not so arrogant as to assume that the metric is capable of calculating every little nuance that goes into quarterback play. It's a guide. It's a good guide. I like it very much. But it doesn't take into account Baker Mayfield's shoulder injury any more than it takes into account Josh Allen playing in a hurricane. But that's where Josh Allen was to finish 2021. A couple things I thought were interesting. Number one, Joe Burrow is a star. Joe Burrow was third in QB stew. And the crazy thing about it is that passer rating was number two. NEA was number two. PFF rate was number two. CPOE is number one. The passing heavy metrics are the ones he was best at. The ones that care most about rushing, QBR, EPA per play, those are the ones that were lower. So for me, Joe Burrow, absolute star. Also, Lamar Jackson did not have a great year. I said it on social media when it happened. Lamar Jackson should not have been a pro bowler over Josh Allen. Lamar Jackson, 17th in QBR. 23rd in passer rating, 20th in NEA, 18th in EPA per play, 19th in DVOA, 21st in PFF grade, and 17th in CPOE. So the areas where Lamar Jackson has historically been able to be pulled up, again, the rushing heavy metrics, QBR, EPA per play, didn't save him. Also, Mac Jones at 15th, clearly the best of all of the rookie quarterbacks. However, he always had the highest floor of all of the quarterbacks. So yes, this is true. I don't think it necessarily tells us anything predictively about the future. If I was a team who picked Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, I wouldn't think to myself, gosh, should have picked Mac Jones. I can't remember, but who said it, but earlier in the year, there were tweets going around about, man, I can't believe the NFL let Mac Jones fall to the Patriots. What really are we doing that now? Mac Jones hasn't shown anything aside from what we already knew he was. And that's what this is, a perfectly reasonable, competent quarterback. Let's see what he's at next year. Let's see where Justin Fields is. Let's see where Trevor Lawrence is. Let's see where Zach Wilson is. We are going to try to get to emails. David says, McDermott has said, as you have quoted, it isn't good for one running back to carry the whole load. On the other hand, 
He's been using Singletary that way for the last couple of games. Do you think, A, he has changed his philosophy? B, he's actually okay with it for a few games. He just meant for a whole season. Or C, he feels the immediate needs outweigh the philosophy. That's a really good question. Let's take them one at a time. Let's start with B. B was he's actually okay with it for a few games. I don't think that one's true. Because he was asked about it specifically about one game. He made it a broader philosophy, but he was asked specifically about one game. So I don't think it's B. So it's either A or C. He's changed his philosophy or he feels the immediate needs outweigh the philosophy. I think really Sean McDermott is adaptable and his philosophies are a lot more gray and flexible than we think they are. So I think it's a mixture of C and A and that he's willing with that growth mindset to say, yeah, I really believe in this strongly, but it's not working. And it's we have a significant sample size showing it's not working So we need to adjust either for now or for as long as it takes for success to be found. So I recognize that's a little bit of a cop-out, but I'm saying somewhere between A and C. David also suggests a Bills versus 49ers Super Bowl in honor of Madden. I would be completely okay with that. I would be thrilled with that, actually. Now, I do think that the Kyle Shanahan run game against the Bills wouldn't be something I would love, especially with how well Trent Williams has been playing this year. I mean, he might be... He might be the best player in the NFL now that's not a quarterback. That's how good Trent Williams has been playing this year, and I want very little to do with it. Evan says, my midseason take was Buffalo was either going to lose the wild card badly or blow out everyone in their path in a self-proclaimed underdog revenge tour fueled by Pro Bowl and AP professional football writers voters. First one is not on brand for me, so I'm not going there. Second one, going to happen. The team is angry. Stefan Diggs wants to make four New England fans in particular very sad. Josh Allen still thinks the Patriots don't know who he is. McCorkle sees Ed Oliver around every corner. In his swan song, Brian Flores broken. This defense has hatred for quarterbacks in their hearts. Devin Singletary has previously said he wants to play like Barry Sanders and he's doing his best to impersonate him. Bills 38-3, bring on Mahomes or Carr or Burrow, doesn't matter, Bills win. I was... I was flat out expecting you to say bills by a billion there, David. I'm shocked you didn't. I'm, I'm not going to go far as to say I'm, I'm disappointed, but I'm, I'm just, just surprised. Very surprised. So Nathan sent me an email, and part of it was about Shaq Lawson becoming a Buffalo Bill again. Since then, we have a tweet from Sal Cabaccio saying that there's no deal that has been agreed upon between Shaq Lawson and the Buffalo Bills. We have heard rumors that there's interest. We even had a report that the deal had been agreed upon. But so far, nothing. So we have to kind of put a pin in that discussion, Nathan. So we'll get back to it if slash when the Bills ever sign Shaq Lawson. I would be completely for it from a practice squad standpoint. I think he's an upgrade over Mike Love. But at this point, Shaq Lawson is what he is, which is a reasonable rotational defensive end. And... I don't think it's going to move the needle significantly one way or another. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We did the thing. And we actually got out on time today, which is good. So thank you for joining me. And I'm excited about the Buffalo Bills, New England Patriots, because as Aaron Quinn said on Twitter, Aaron Quinn, uh, host of the Cover One podcast, you can follow him on Twitter at Aaron Quinn 716. 
He said, it's either going to be the best weekend of my sports fandom or the worst weekend of my sports fandom. Because if the Buffalo Bills lose to the New England Patriots, it's not going to be a good time. And if they beat them, it's going to be a lot of trash talk. But you know what? I don't really have anything else to say to Patriots fans if we end up being the victors. Except, well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.